Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that as we open your word to us, you speak. And Father, we pray this afternoon that as we look at your word, you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would convince us of this truth. And Lord, you'd change us to be more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, well, if you're visiting this afternoon a bit like me, um, we're jumping into the middle of a series. Um, I've been listening along online. Um, the podcasts are brilliant. It's very easy. So if that is you, or even if you've missed something in the, in the series, I do encourage you to check it out because it will really help. Um, and it will help us to see the wider picture. But um, if you haven't been here, then let me give you a bit of context. Um, and for those of you that have, it's a bit of a recap. Um, remember that we're jumping into the middle of a letter. Obviously, John's written. He's writing to address this specific issue. Um, we've got these two groups, the orthodox um, Christianity that has been there before. It's based on the teaching of the apostles. And then we've got this new group rising up that seems to be claiming something new. They seem to be claiming that they're bringing this new revelation. And they're claiming these two things about Jesus, either that he wasn't God or that he wasn't man. And so they're straying from the truth that the apostles originally set forward. And it's been said in the last couple of weeks, John is writing for two main reasons. You might remember them, people and propaganda. So firstly, he writes for the purpose of the people, that they'd be built up and encouraged, and importantly, they'd be flourishing in the gospel. They'd be staying faithful to the true gospel. And secondly, he writes against propaganda. There's people around the church, speaking even in the church, that are trying to claim some false gospel. He writes in opposition to these false teachers. And uh, you've seen through the book, he tends to call these antichrists or speaking as the spirit of the antichrist. And so we dive in this afternoon, we're coming to chapter four, and we see these two things come together. And it's something of a test for its recipients. It's a test to see how the people that John cares so deeply about, it's a test to make sure that they're sticking to the true gospel and that they're not getting sucked in by this propaganda. So this afternoon, as we read this, it's a great test for Town Church Bista. I don't know how you feel about being put to the test. Um, maybe that immediately brings up negative thoughts. Um, whether you get nervous about tests or whether you try and blag tests, whether it's a um, piano exam a GCSE or an MOT or a blood test, whether you get nervous about them or you feel really confident going into them, this afternoon, we don't need to get nervous about it. And it's definitely not a test we can blag, but it's maybe a bit like an MOT. It just shows where we're at. It's a good leveler just to check what's going on here. So we're going to look at these two questions in chapter four. It'd be really helpful if you keep chapter four open because we're going to walk through it together. Firstly, the test of doctrine. Are we clear what we believe? And secondly, the test of love. Are we clear what we do? Um, you might remember from last week, John's summary 
in 1 John 3, in the previous chapter, verse 23, is a bit of a summary. Um, Let me read it to you. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. So that's his summary from the last chapter. And we see he kind of carries it through into chapter 4. So we've got these two tests. Verse 1 to 6, are we clear what we believe? Verse 7 to 21, are we clear what we do? So let's just have a look at those first six verses then. And so we come straight away to verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. This imperative command straight away from John tells us what he's all about. Test the spirits. Remember um, the context into which he's speaking. There's people claiming all sorts of things. There's people standing up in church claiming different things about Jesus. So the purpose of this testing is to make sure that John's recipients are listening to the right thing. They're not being taken in by these false spirits. Have a look at verse 2. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The true Spirit acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh. And I think as we read this, acknowledges is a bit of a weak word because many people acknowledge that Jesus has come, but don't really take that further. Um, The Greek word suggests maybe it's even more promises, confesses, assents to the truth about Jesus. It's not just acknowledges, but actually goes and trusts it. See, what John's saying in that sentence It's addressing two of the things that they're already claiming, the false teachers are already claiming against. Both that Jesus has come in the flesh and that he's come from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge this is from the Antichrist, verse 3. Lanks said two weeks ago, our immediate thought when we think of the Antichrist is a a beast of revelation. It's maybe not what we think of would be in our churches. It's maybe not what we'd think about when we think of Town Church Bista. But you see here from what he says, the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in this church. And the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in our churches today, proclaiming the false gospels. So it's really important to say, no one is above consideration. We can't just sit passively and accept everything we hear. It's important, verse 1, that we do not believe every spirit, but that we test the spirits. Um, I serve at a summer camp with Lanks and many others here called Sports Plus that Christians in Sport put on. And um, every year, um, Lanks heads up safeguarding, which is obviously a really key thing in um, delivering things for young people in these times. Um, And he delivers this line in this training session that I never forget. Something along these lines, don't quote me exactly. But he says, it's the last thing I want, but if an allegation is found to have evidence against you, no matter if we've been friends for years, I'll be the one 
to get up and march you off site into the arms of the authorities. And it, it's quite striking. It, it, it doesn't sit very easily, but it's with that care that we should flee from false gospels. I know that Lanx finds no pleasure in delivering that line, but it, when, when it comes to this matter at Sports Plus, there is no compromise. The ultimate concern in our churches is the safeguarding of the true gospel. The, when it comes to the good news about Jesus, there is no compromise. That might be a scary place to start this afternoon. It might be, maybe put you on the back foot. It, it doesn't feel very nice. If that worries you, well, have a look at verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Don't worry. The one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one at work in the world. Remember 2 verse 20? But you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. The very means by which any person accepts the truth about Jesus in the first place, the Holy Spirit, is the means by which we cling to the truth now. And that Holy Spirit in us is greater than the one at work in the world. Well then, how can we spot the difference between a true message and a false message? Have a look at verse 5. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. The false teachers are from the world. They speak like the world and the world listens. The world wants to accept a message that is worldly. But verse 6, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And that we there is um, John speaking on behalf of him and the apostles. So what he's saying is that the, the words of the apostles, the apostolic ministry, the true gospel, is that that only those from God will listen to. There is one spirit of truth and one spirit of deception. It's deception because it's trying to change the original true gospel, the apostolic ministry. It's deception because it's changing what was originally passed on to the disciples. I don't know um, what you're like when you watch an advert. I think there's two kinds of people when it comes to advertising. Um, I don't know if you've seen the uh, iPhone X or 10. I, I never know. Is it X or 10? Who knows? Maybe they're trying to be clever. Um, but their uh, iPhone Apple branding is always brilliant, isn't it? It comes up in flashy, um, nice music. It looks very attractive. And when an advert like that comes on the telly, I think there's two kinds of responses. Either you're someone that gets taken in by it. And you think, oh, that looks really cool. That's, that's really nice. Oh, that looks like it's going to be the best phone yet. I want to get it. And from that moment on, there's something in you that really wants to get the iPhone X10. Or 
you watch an advert like that and you think, ah, it's an iPhone, isn't it? It's going to be, the battery's still going to be rubbish. And they've got rid of the home screen, so that's going to be rubbish. And it's an iPhone, so the screen will probably smash immediately, like always. The battery life's always poor. See, when we watch advertising, the danger is we go one of two ways. Either we lap it up and take it in without really thinking it through, or we just want to find everything we can to reject it as quick as possible. But that's a danger for us as Christians when we listen to messages, whether it be sermons, sermons online, Christian messages, even the advice of our Christian friends, even our thoughts. Either we get drawn in by any possible teaching and immediately we flee to and find anything new or interesting or exciting. Or, on the other hand, we become sceptical and we never really listen properly. We're listening out for faults rather than truth. And we don't want to hear the truth about Jesus. We want to find flaws. See, both are very dangerous. Instead, any time we receive Christian instruction, whether it be from a preacher, a leader, a friend, sermon, online, even our own thoughts, we need to test it, as John says. Well, okay, practically, what does that actually look like in Town Church Vista? How can we be doing that? I think we can ask these questions. From verse 2, does it submit to the truth about Jesus? Verse 5, is it beginning to sound worldly? Does it start sounding like something the world wants to say? And importantly, from verse 6, does it use deception? When I hear some message, when I hear some advice, can I see clearly where it fits with the apostles' teaching? Can I see clearly where it comes from in the Bible? And every member of Town Church Bista has got a responsibility to be asking these questions after sermons, in home groups, in growth groups, even as we meet casually. Not to be sat back passively and taking everything in without question, and not to be overly sceptical and attacking, not to be disengaged and not to be really critical, but faithfully and genuinely looking for where the truth about Jesus is communicated and actively trying to promote it and protect it in the life of the church. So there's the doctrine test. Are we clear what we believe? Are we guarding what we believe? Then in the second half, the test of love. Verse 7, we see again another command. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Well, why is that a test, you might ask? We'll see the second half of the verse. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's a test because love follows new birth. We should expect that if we've been born again and have new life in Jesus, that we should love our brothers and sisters. But have a look at verse 9. It's, it's not the, that's not the target. The focus of what John's saying is not just a moral message. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The, the heart of the Christian message isn't, you're a Christian, be loving. 
No, the heart of the Christian message is Christ. Look at verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the source of love. He gave Jesus as a sacrifice that we would be made right with him. And verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because we have this new life, this new right position before God, that's why we should love one another. His love means that we can love, not the other way around. Verse 12, he kind of carries this argument on. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If we love, his love is made complete in us, verse 12. And he repeats that idea in verse 17. This is how, we, how, his, how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Now, he states the point, he says something in the middle and he restates the point. So what he says in the middle is just to clarify. The point is that when we love, his, his love is made complete in us, but he wants to be really careful in the way he says it. Have a look at verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. John wants to say the way we obtain our salvation, the way we get right with God, is not by loving, it's by him giving us his spirit. It's by verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be saviour of the world. It's by understanding Christ's work. It's by verse 15, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. See, John wants to make it so, so clear. The way we obtain our salvation is not by being great lovers of people. It's not. The way we obtain our salvation is verse 13, by him giving us his spirit. It's by verse 14, us understanding Christ's work. It's by 15, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. It's by verse 16, relying on the love God has for us. It's his work in us that we obtain our salvation. But, verse 12 and 17, what we should expect then as a fruit of this salvation is that it's sealed in our heart and so we love one another. It's a test. It's a test to show what God has done for us that we will love one another. Well, what does that fruit actually result in? Have a look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. John holds up in the, these next few verses two alternatives. Either we rely on the love God has shown us in Jesus, and so we love, and so we have confidence in him because of what he has done, and we approach the final day when God comes back with confidence, or the alternative is, that we don't trust in God's love. We don't have confidence when God comes back because we can't hope in Jesus if that's not us. 
John's saying that a life that trusts in the love of God, a church that trusts in the love of God, will be a church of people that love one another. Um, John in his Gospel 13 verse 35 says, By this you will know that they are my disciples, that they will love one another. See, walking into town church, Bista, the first test of doctrine isn't necessarily really easy to unpick. It's there on the website that the, the gospel matters, that, the, uh, that God's word is the measure of truth. It's there. People will see that the Bible is the authority, but it's, it's maybe a bit harder to unpick. It takes a bit more time. But the tests of love is remarkable to someone coming into the church. Um, I played rugby at university and I had a friend called Doug and I prayed for him for um, two years, the two years I was playing rugby with him. And he came into um, university at the same time as another one of my friends who was a Christian. I was in second year, they joined and they were freshers. And so as a Christian, um, another Christian joined the rugby club and I was looking out for him. I was praying for both of them, one that um, would come to know Jesus and one that he would be stuck in in the rugby club. And I was looking out for um, Josh, who was the other Christian. And throughout university, I had this kind of weird triangle of um, friendship with Doug, who wasn't a Christian, Josh, who was a Christian. And Doug kind of got an inside line into what it was like, two Christians looking out for each other in a, in a, in a rugby club, which was a hard place to be. But um, in those two years, I felt like I didn't really see any fruit of praying for Doug. I didn't really um, have that many conversations. He didn't seem that interested. Um, but then the year after I finished university, I'd, been, I'd still been in contact a little bit with Doug. And um, I called him up and I said, do you want to come away with me? We're going on holiday. It's a holiday where we're going to look at the truth about Jesus. I said it to him as it was. I expected him to say no. He said, yeah, I'd love to come. So we went to Lanzarote, we had a lovely time, um, there was um, other Christians, there was lots of sports players, we had great fun. In the, in the evenings we opened up John's Gospel um, and he seemed to be taking it all in and I was really surprised. I, I don't know why I was surprised but he was really interested. Um, and I'll never forget, we, let, we, were going to, well, we went to the airport and Doug is from Scotland, he was getting the uh, plane to Edinburgh, I was getting the plane to Luton. And I turned to Doug and I said, Doug, please just tell me what you make of it all. Don't leave it here in Lanzarote. Just tell me what you think, really. I want you to keep thinking. And he, I, I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, I'm more convinced now that it's true than ever. Because you Christians, you just really look out for each other. He'd um, witnessed, I was there with Christians, some were very like me, some were very different to me. But we got on and we looked out for each other. And he probably saw something of that in um, my relationship with Josh at university. Now, I don't know exactly what it was Doug was talking about. But he just said that, you Christians, you really look out for each other. It was such an odd thing to be convinced of the truth about Jesus on. But it's fruit of the gospel that cannot be faked to genuinely love and to look out for other Christians. Well, what could that look like in Town Church Bista? 
Here's the reality about Town Church Vista. Um, please don't be surprised by this. It's new and it's exciting and that's really, really good. And it's growing and it's, and it's excellent. But it's not all easy, is it? Under the surface, there's people in the room that are hurting, that are finding things difficult and it's hard. And sometimes maybe it's a bit awkward because you don't know each other that well. Question is, will you make sacrifices to really get to know each other? Really get to know each other. Sacrifices that when it's hard to even have that conversation, will you, like in verse 9, the demonstration of sacrificial love in Jesus, will you give up your time, as Johnny talked about last week, our most value, valued commodity? Will you give up your time to look out for other people in Town Church Bister? See, it's sometimes the easy thing to do is to get frustrated in the way other people do things. Maybe the way they act, maybe the way they spend their time, maybe the way they parent. It could be anything. But we can quite easily just get a bit frustrated and just quickly that becomes annoyance. And subtly, you're cultivating hatred. Look at verse 19. Sorry, verse 20. If we say we love God yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. John's saying, don't cultivate hatred in a church. But let the love God has shown you shape the way you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Town Church Bister. When it's hard, when it's difficult to put time and effort into getting, pe- getting to know people that maybe aren't that much like you, that maybe do things slightly different to you? Well, okay, what about in our actual practical conversations? How do we actually love each other in conversations when they reveal that they're struggling with this or when you tell someone that this is a real problem for you? How do we love one another? Have a look at verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. That's talking about the work that's already been done in Jesus. Surely it's so important that we point each other back to the work that Jesus has done and we rely on God's love for us. And verse 17, surely it's important that we point to the confidence that we have approaching that final day. See, when as Christians we encourage each other of the truth about Jesus, and we remind each other of the perspective we have in the confidence we have approaching heaven, surely that is when we can encourage one another in difficulties, in hardship, in trouble, in problems. Remember, John is desperate that the Christians would be built up and assured. He's desperate that they would cling on to the truth, the true gospel about Jesus Christ in a context where nothing seems certain, in a context where people are saying all kinds of different things and people don't know what to rely on. In a similar world today where the parameters for truth are changing all the time, people hold one thing as true another and a different thing the next. In a world that is self-obsessed, where we barely see sacrificial love, John wants Town Church Bister 
to be convinced of the truth about Jesus and to cling to it and to make it known. That's the test. In light of the truth about Jesus, what God has done in sacrificing him to give us life, one, will town church bester be devoted to sound doctrine? Are we clear what we believe? Will we helpfully, every one of us, helpfully point each other to Jesus? Two, will town church bister be devoted to one, loving one another? Will the community around, will visitors be so clear that town church bister is something different? It's not just a social group, but the, the transforming work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in its very members transforms them to love one another in a way that's completely different to the rest of the world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that the apostles recorded the truth about Jesus. Father, please would you help us to cling to that same truth and not be swayed by new waves, new teachings, new revelations. But Father, please would you give us confidence in the Holy Spirit that has sealed that truth in our hearts. And Father, please would that love that you've shown to us cause us to love one another. Amen.